You're listening to Radio Influence. You've seen Chef Ryan Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Yo ho, what do you say, Friday? Welcome to Duffified Live. You know, it's been a weird couple of weeks. We're going to talk about it. Let's do it. Let's have the conversation. It's been a super weird fucking couple of weeks, man. How about the indecisive nature in the world that we live? Do we? Don't we? What do I do with gloves? Wear them or not? Mask? Wear them or not? Do I leave the house? I have no idea. Do I go here? Do I go there? It sounds like a Dr. Seuss book on what it is that we're supposed to do. But here's the deal. I'm not a professional in this world. I'm not a scientific expert. I'm not a doctor. But here's the deal. Stay away from people. Wash your goddamn hands. Put gloves on when you're going out to open a door or something like that. Uh, You know, use your sleeve when you're opening a door when you're closing it. Don't touch every single thing in the grocery store. Don't touch everything on the shelves when you're walking in and out of there. Don't pick it up and read it and look at it. Know what you got to go. Get a list together. Go into the grocery store. Stand six feet away from people. Walk down the aisle with the arrow in it that's going in the direction that you're going. And don't break the rules. Okay? I had somebody ask me the other day, what are the rules when it comes to sex? I have no idea. Like, I'm a single guy. Like, how does that work? How long do you have to wait? You know, like, what is that world that we live in? I'm, I'm shocked to find out what's going to happen or the, the amount of babies that are going to be born as soon as this, uh, you know, once those bars open, how many single moms are going to be out there? You know, how many paternity tests are we going to be taking to find out who's who? I think there's going to be some crazy shit going on. Let me know what you guys think about that, by the way. Feel free to reply to me all the time on all these little fun worlds that we live in of Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You guys know where I am. I'm Chef Bryduff on Instagram and Twitter, and I love the interaction of everybody that's going on. And right now, over the last couple of weeks, I've had uh, this kind of epiphany of education. I want to share what it is that I have with you guys. I want you to see the really cool stuff that we do. I mean, I was breaking down ribs for rib tips the other night. You know, we broke them down. We showed you how I brine them and how we do them. And then we toss them and smoke them and serve them. I mean, that's like fun stuff. I kept saying to everybody I was going to do a chicken video. So if you go to my Instagram right now and you look in the Instagram uh, TV section, I broke down a chicken for everybody. Unfortunately, the lighting was fucking horrible. But you know what? It worked and it made me happy. So that's where we are. We're all kind of adapting to this new world that we're living in. We're adapting to the social distancing, the non-world, the world of non-handshaking, uh, you know, the, the fact that we're kind of hanging out a little further away from other people, but we're still super close with our family. And that's really important to me. I mean, the fact that my daughter is here all the time is something that I look forward to. You know, I look forward to coming home. The other night I came home, I guess it was Saturday night and I walked in the house and the house was super clean. Oh, sorry, I had a yawn there. I went to bed super late last night. I uh, I walked in the house and it was uber clean. Like I'm talking vacuumed, mopped, dishes put away, you know, table cleaned. My daughter completely cleaned the house, but she wasn't here. She was at her friend's house and I was like sad. You know, it was like, well, where's my, where are my friends? Where's my girl? Uh, my other daughter, Fiona, is with her mom. 
Um, her, uh, I've said it before, my ex-wife's husband uh, works in a hospital, so we're keeping Fiona super safe from any additional added stress. We're doing, uh, you know, we do family dinners and family game nights and stuff like that. I'm pretty stoked for that to happen. We're going to be doing, or we did that Monday and Tuesday. Um, so I'm really happy about that. I don't share too much of that stuff because that's like private time, but it's the cool time that we have together. I have a friend, uh, him and his wife, or he and his wife, are doing um, theme nights every night. It's a riot. They did Clue the other night. They did 80s rock stars the other night. They had a spa night where everybody dressed in spa. They lit candles and let them all over the house. Like, they're doing really cool, fun stuff, and I love it. They did a dead show in their backyard the other day. Tent, grill, tailgate, helium balloons, the whole nine yards. It's kind of funny to watch. So I love the creativity. If you guys are doing something cool uh while you're out there share it with me let me see it i want to know what you guys are doing tag me in those pictures and um, i'd love to see some of the cool stuff that you and your families are doing i love seeing the videos of what everybody's doing as well those things make me really happy so share them um this week makes me happy as well we had a really good week at the restaurant we fed a lot of people man both through to go through hospitality. You know, we have a program at the restaurant right now. It's called Staff Meal. If you want to buy a staff meal, you can go to my website, ardmoreq.com. Buy one staff meal. Feeds three people. Feel free to do it. Three and a half, I think we're doing now because we're starting to get food at a little bit of a discounted price so I can feed more people for the amount that's coming through. So if you want to donate to that, feel free. Go to ardmoreq.com. Place order now. You can order a staff meal. It's 10 bucks. It feeds three and a half people. We put post-its up on the wall. Somebody from the hospitality industry has been laid off or we just moved it over to the medical field. But the amount of people that are out there working their butts off doing that stuff will feed you as well. Come on in. Get a free meal. I love you. I want you to buy one. Um, and I want you to come in and get it. So go to ArdemoreQ.com and do that right now. It's not a solicitation for business, but that's what I'm doing. Okay. We're out there. We're trying to feed people. So come on and do the same. Um, other than that, we, uh, we've been feeding some people, man. A lot of hospitality, a lot of hospital. Um, we did 65 at Lankanal Hospital the other day in Philly, 65 at Lankanal the week before. We did 100 at Bryn Mawr Hospital the other day, and I just had a donation come through on Instagram from a gentleman who uh, is going to put in some money, and his company's going to match it, and they're going to pay. They're going to feed a bunch of hospital workers as well, which is like that's what this thing is happening. We're seeing this compassion come out, and these people. Some of these people are just doing it anonymously. They don't want to be, uh, you know, acknowledged for it. I have other companies that want to be acknowledged for it. I don't care. I'm just happy to be able to feed people. So that's where we are with all that stuff. And I love it. And, um, this week's show is going to be kind of a, uh, it's going to be a good one. I'm a big fan of the gentleman who's coming on. Um, he is a friend. He is a, a, a true professional in what it is that he does. His knowledge is unmatched. Uh, in his field, and I'm really stoked to have him on. So everybody do me a favor. We've got uh, Nick Solaris on this week. You know, the host, the food writer, and the photographer for Meat Life on YouTube. Um, this guy's knowledge of steak and burgers and everything else is just unmatched, and I'm so excited to get him on. So ladies and gentlemen, do me a favor and get your podcast ready. Get your speakers or your headphones in and listen to this show, because we got Nick Solaris on Duffified Live. Good morning, sir. How are you today? Good morning. I'd like to speak to you under these difficult and trying times. Dude, it's, I, you know, I, I think that 
like we're hearing stories from from around the country and it's like oh wow that's like a story but new york is an entirely different beast well it's you know in the real sense it is the front lines it is kind of what is going to be it is kind of a premonition of what's going to play out in certainly in emergency rooms across the country yeah yeah um look it's very easy to look out on the city and it's very placid and it's empty and everything's shut and it could be like a holiday, right? And you're like, look, that belies the reality of what's happening behind those hospital walls and it's just madness and chaos, right? It's yeah. like, they are, they are, it's like a kitchen that has a thousand tickets coming through the door and there's only, you know, you've got produce for 50 people. It's right. just, it, it, you know, we can't imagine what it's like, um, you know, being on the other side. So, you know, we have flattened the curve here. And I have to say that it's, it's, it's a feeling of like civic pride that I think all New Yorkers should share in the fact that we really have like by and large stayed inside, not congregated. Um, you know, we're never going to be able to do it on the level of China. We don't live in a dictatorship. Right. Right. There's not going to be a shutdown. They're not, we're not going to get tracked by phones. Like I don't, I don't see that happening. But certainly the mitigation we've done has at least flattened the curve. Look, flattening the curve is great, but we still have like hundreds of people dying a day. You know, it's like, you know, I see these protests out happening and look, I totally get it. I've been locked up for five weeks at this point. You know, I'm going crazy, too. But like I also, you know, I've sadly lost people. The industry has lost a lot of people. We've lost restaurants like this thing is really it's a serious issue. And. You know, hopefully, look, the, if we do our job right here, like it, it, it won't have to be that long for everyone else. But if like if, if people don't learn from our example in the way that we didn't learn for the examples of places like Korea and um, like the Czech Republic was very effective. Right, Germany has, has been very effective. Um, but look, you know, it, it's one of the few things that as citizens, we actually have some control. We have a modicum of control over this in situations like going to war oil you know trade wars those kind of things we have a lot less and this is the first time like we really can affect this thing one way or the other um, i think the thing for what what i've seen and and is exactly I mean, everybody's just staying inside they're just doing their thing i mean you know i i said yesterday or friday last week when they started to talk about the fact that the curve had started to flatten out a little bit and I started to see it, more people in the grocery store, more people on the road, more cars in parking spots in different mm-hmm. places. And it's like, we're not there yet, but no, just because no, they no. they mentioned it, people were out and they started to, to be more. No, I, I, look, I get the feeling and the impulse, believe me, I, as, as somebody that eats out every meal and spends their whole life traveling as you do, like I, I think that, you know, we're based on airplanes, you know, half our life we're flying, right? And yeah. we're somewhere new. And we're in a, you know, I know I haven't cooked at home in 15 years. Um, well, except for now. I mean, and that's, I think one of the, one of the big things that I've seen with you as, as if any, if the word man about town had that picture in any description, you are that person. Yeah. I mean, your documentary of, of your day involves multiple restaurants it involves multiple interactions with people multiple meals and experiences on a daily basis 
you know, and, and watching how you've adapted in that way, whether it be through delivery products coming into your house or your documentary of, you know, you with your training and your boxing and your music and, and all that stuff has been really cool. But I mean, you must be going fucking berserk. Yeah, because it's, it's, you know, I'm like one of those caged tigers in that stupid Netflix show. Oh, Jesus. You know, I just feel like I'm just pacing back and forth in the same, like, you know, whatever, 700 square feet. And look, I have it. I have it. Believe me, I feel very blessed that I have, like, I live alone, first of all. Right. So, so everyone should feel blessed that they don't have to live with me. <laughs> right? And, the same way. And I have, da- I have a daughter who lives with me. I, I travel a lot, so I'm used to spending a lot of time alone. Right? So I'm okay in that space. And I have plentiful supply of toilet paper and and beef. You know, and I have a home theater, I have a gym in my house. And that is the, that to me, that, that having that treadmill is like the biggest godsend. Like, yeah. it, it, you know, it's something that was mostly a coat hanger, you know, and now it's like indispensable. Because, you know, as a New Yorker, when I'm in town, I'm walking like five, 10 miles a day every day. Yep. So to be stuck inside the apartment, you know, and I really try not to go out um, because. Are you, are so, you going out at all? I go out to go, you know, I go out to buy uh, <clears throat> vegetables. Um, I, the things that I, <laughs> I have no connections in the vegetable world. So I have yeah, to go buy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I go to the farmer's markets. I go to local, local supermarkets. Um, the Union Square farmer's market, the green market has been running every day. You know, it's still, look, the, the, the essential semblance of life remains, right? The framework, the buildings, or, or you know, you can get deliveries, you but it's like the heart and soul of New York is its culture. It's the restaurants, the nightclubs, the bars, the libraries, the, you know, the concert venues, the museums, the art galleries. Stripped of that, we're just living in these ridiculously expensive apartments on top of each other for no reason, you know? Like for the same yeah. amount of money, I could have a house in the suburbs with like acres of space that I could go and walk around and ride a bicycle, you know? And it's like, you you're perfectly willing to pay the balance because when New York is thriving, there's no place on earth like, or, or any major city, Philadelphia, you know, whatever it is, Boston, Chicago, LA, you know, any of these cities when they're, when they, you know, you can justify living there when they're culturally thriving, but without culture, it's like, you know, it's just, there's no point in being here. It's just depressing. Um, so, and then of course, look, we've already talked about, you know, the human cost. There's also the cost to business, the cost to, to the restaurants, the kind of places that you and I hold there. And in fact, you are, you own one of those kind of restaurants, small independent business, you know? And it's like, how are those going to survive this? You know? And the fact is that they're not without serious intervention. Yeah. I mean, we're, I, I you know, I'm, I don't want to use the word lucky, but I, I feel that I am. I'm the only, you know, I bought a barbecue spot and I bought a barbecue spot and, and I've said it before almost for fun because I love barbecue. It's a real true play. That is my, that's my kind of, that's my relaxation in a way. It's not the same world as a fine dining restaurant. It's not the same world as a, as a gastro pub. It's not the same world as a full service restaurant. I go in, I light my smokers and I get to fuck around for the next 12 to 14 hours. Now it's really, truly a business that is sustaining because my salary was cut. You know, my appearances are done. 
My TV was stopped. There's no production going on right now. You know, I, my my show's coming out again in May. My rest, my opening night is coming out again in May. And they were saying to me, we need you to do pickups on your phone. <laughs> yeah, well, look what it's done. Well, look what this whole thing has done to the uh, news, you know. Oh, yeah. Caught up with you. Yeah. But now they're doing everything over Skype. You were way ahead of the curve. You've been doing Skype since day one. Yeah. Skype and Zoom. Yeah, that's the whole thing. I mean, you look at, I watched, uh, 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 who is it? Uh, uh, what's the chick? I can't even think of her name. The little blonde with Ryan Seacrest. Oh, you got me there. I don't even know. It's a morning show. But I watched them the other day and they're both hanging out in their kitchens on their computers in their pajamas. Like the dog is barking in the background. That's kind of what a morning show should have been all the time anyway. Exactly. I totally agree with you. There's no but need you know for all what? the... the yeah, the 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 rise of Zoom, um, it's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I wish I would have bought it early. Yeah, right. I mean, I've used Zoom over the years quite a bit, um, but with my company, so I have a, you know I have a, a production company that does my show, but we also do work for other clients, and we're actually using Zoom. So one of our clients is this company Ottawa Grills. Have you heard of these guys? No. We got to get you one, mate. They are the most—it's yeah. the most amazing device. If I had a backyard, I'd be—I'd be on it right now. It's a—it's basically a replacement. It's a steakhouse broiler for the home environment, but it's for oh, really works off propane, reaches fifteen hundred degrees in like three minutes. It basically sears—it's—it's it's phenomenal. Hmm. So they're a partner of—they're a meat life partner, basically, and we produce video content for them. Um, but now we obviously there's no there's no video to be done. Sure. So what we're doing is we're doing these um, meetings over Zoom, where it's uh, so it, kind of like that actually, meeting. Gonna, by well, the way, we're going to get you in. We're going to invite you onto the next one, which is coming up in about a, in about a week. Yeah. And we had John Tezar in Dallas on his balcony cooking <laughs> his steaks on an Otto Wild. Then I was in New York, and then we had Nils Wild, who is a son of the designer. Oh yeah. In Germany demonstrating the three units that they have. They have they have a lineup of three. And so John was cooking, uh Nils was talking about this, and I was kind of like the MC. And then we have somebody that's kind of like the director. So we're kind of using Zoom like a broadcasting network. Right. And then at the end we have but then it's interactive. We have the question and answer period. We haven't integrated other video, but we're gonna be doing like we we're, we're trying to we're trying to revolutionize the platform and utilize it in a way that, frankly, nobody's doing right now, or, or we can't do right now because of television being down. So we're trying yeah. to you know broadcast in a new way. Um, it's pretty it's amazing. Like how, look, you're the perfect example, right? Podcasting is a perfect example. You don't need to get on the radio. You don't need to like you know. You can just go out and build your own audience. You know, and that's that's what you're doing and say it's a total grassroots thing. And I think that this whole thing, if nothing else, is going to create this whole new shift in media where chefs. How many chefs do you know on Instagram that are just cooking for the camera now? I mean, I've seen a major a major play now 
with not only the bigger guys, you know, I mean, you're looking at your top, you know, I hate to say it, but the A-list chefs that are out there that are doing stuff. I'm seeing some neat stuff come through from them, but what I'm seeing more of are the guys in that BC level that are out there doing instructional videos that are making dinner at home. I, I mean, I've had more fun in the last couple of weeks making breakfast and showing people how to break down chicken and ribs than I have in the last bunch of years with cameras all over me. Well, it's, there's an interaction, an interactive part to it that I love so much. And you literally have a captive audience. Yeah, right? you do. I mean, people are just stuck at home, right? And then they're going, but then they're taking those videos and they're sharing them and they're making that kind of viral world. Like I broke down, you know, four or five chickens the other night on camera, super instructional, the way that a culinary teacher or a culinary instructor would have showing the break apart, showing that breastplate, well, that's showing exactly, how that's that night. Exactly the value of this thing. And that's what I'm trying to do too, is like, I'm yeah. not just, you know, it's not, I'm not using Instagram the way that it's just like. Because I've always used Instagram as just a way to sort of funnel to my other work, right? Which is, right. Like, but now it, it almost becomes part of, it becomes a tool for you to, to the, I mean, I've always looked at myself as a, you know, as an educator. I'm trying to educate you on my, not just my passion for things, but the technical aspects of it. And a lot of my journalism has really been behind the scenes in the kitchens, right? right. And that's all that I'm showing on my Instagram is all the techniques I've learned from people like Mark Forgione or like Michael White. You know, I'm using like, I'm basically cooking my way through every steak technique in the home environment. Right. Um, whether it's, you know, using the broiler or using a pan or combination of those. Now you were doing sous vide the other day though, and you're not a huge sous vide guy. I don't, I think sous vide is, um, is a solution looking for a problem if you're cooking something from raw. Right. If you're cooking something, I should, let me, let me rephrase that. If you're cooking something from raw that is inherently fatty and juicy and succulent already. Yeah. A piece of USDA prime, I don't feel there's any need to sous vide that. Unless you, look, the edge to edge cooking, if that you really value that, yeah, that's a great way to do that. I have other right. ways to do it too, which I think are just as effective and produce a better product. Um, I also don't mind that slight gradation between the inside and the outside. Yeah. That, um, you know, I like that bit of chew between the two. I like a breakdown of fat. And I like the way that it kind of renders that fat and allows it to cook back through. But I do my steaks at 119. So I'm a two hour 119 guy on a great fucking ribeye, you know, where I just the way that that fat starts to break down the way that it kind of circ, you know, kind of circulates amongst that steak on the inside. But I also sear my meats before I put them in. I it's want that I, sear on the outside. So then I'm going to re-sear it again when I'm pulling it out. Yeah, I've just that just seems like three times the work that you need to get. <laughs> Because you're searing it once, then you're wasting right. all that plastic and all that time. Yeah. Then you're pulling it out and then you're re-searing it again. I mean, to me, it just seems when you can actually get the same result. I mean, the reverse sear is a great way, especially on a thicker cut. Put it in a very low oven, um, you know, 200 degrees till you, yeah. hit, till you hit 10 degrees below your internal temp. Right. So you want it rare, you would go 120. I mean, uh, you know, one one ten to one fifteen, yeah, and then you know, rest it a bit, and then just sear the hell out of it. Just put that crust on. You've primed the steak. I mean, the reverse sear is a very good way, but for me, I just cook it. I like my steaks very rare, generally. Right. 
So I just slap it down on a cast iron skillet, just sear it both sides or all sides if it's a thicker cut, right? Always got to sear the fat. I still think that your love of prime rib is unlike anybody's love of anything. Yeah, well, to me, like that's the best way to cook that cut to me because it just, you elicit such deeper flavor than when you, it's like the time you put into it, you get back, you know? Yeah. It's same with barbecue, right? There's something about the way that it renders down fats. It renders down the, the muscle tissue itself. My problem right now is briskets. I'm fucking horrified at what's coming through. They're all just nasty. They're all really small. They're coming through without a lot of the, uh, just with any, without anything in there. Nobody's, no, I'm pulling it off my menu, dude. Right I'm now. doing briskets right now just for sandwiches. I'm not serving brisket in the restaurant anymore except for sandwiches. You know what's got, what the price, I'm sure you've seen the surprises on filet mignon is tanked. You could buy filet for the price well, of brisket. But I mean, who is the, you know, who's the purchaser of the filet? That's your, that's your high-end steakhouses. Well, it's not just that. It's, it's literally every, every restaurant, every hotel, right? right? That's the steak. It's the filet. And it's like, yeah, the consumer, consumers don't really buy filet that much. That's all restaurant. I mean, we're screwed in the pork world. Pork. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm watching pork production and what's happening with pork because that's my I hate to say it that's my bread and butter man that's my ribs that's my pulled pork sure yeah that's that's where my money comes in you know I mean I cooked 180 pounds of of pork of pork butt last week you know I got a tiny tiny little spot we cook our pork butts for fucking 16 hours wow you know I mean we're doing I mean well I I do a I do a slow roast at 200 I pull them out, I pull the pork, and then I put it in my smoker for at 225 for another four hours. That must that must taste delicious. But, dude, I do it like a porchetta. Right. So I do mine where I dot it. So every shoulder, 9 to 12 pounds depending, is uh, we make an incision in the top. We, we, we insert 10 cloves of garlic into the shoulder, mm. and then we take one sprig of rosemary per clove of garlic in each orifice. <laughs> and then we wrap it, roast it for 12, pull it, and then smoke it. And then all that jus stays with it. It's, it's a brilliant pork sandwich, and it's an awesome pulled pork. I mean, I'm, I'm, fantastic. It's, one of my most, it's one of my most prideful cuts of meat that I work with. But now your prices are going to go skyrocketing. They're going through the roof. I was, paying, I was paying a buck a pound last week for pork butts. Well, I was paying, let me rephrase it. I was paying a buck a pound for bone-in butts last week that were frozen because all of the purveyors and what a lot of people don't understand is that a lot of these purveyors made their purchases before St. Patrick's Day. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, so, so we, they loaded up the coffers prior to St. Patrick's Day. The massive shutdown really happened on March 14th in most locations around the country. So St. Patrick's Day was now shut down. Then we've got March Madness to follow that, and then the then then the series of spring holidays that are going to follow. So so the coffers were full. Now they're getting rid of frozen. They they put all the fresh product in the freezer so it wouldn't go bad. Right. A lot of these purveyors are now delivering to homes, like fucking Chef's Warehouse is delivering my brisket to your house. You know, and so they're getting rid of the product. Now that product is starting to come back around as a fresh product, but the price is through the roof. You know, my ribs are going from two seventy a pound up to, and I buy an all natural um, rib, a three and a quarter down 
uh, St. Louis, you know, last week I was breaking down spare ribs because my St. Louis weren't available. Right. And putting rib tips on the menu. And, oh, the fucking rib tips, dude. I, I mean, so much have, with those you might have to secure a, a, a direct hawk connection at this point. Stop breaking down whole animals. I mean, I, like one, I would have no problem doing that. But the problem with that is I'm getting two racks per, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's my there's my problem. So I'm going to have to play around a little bit. I've, I've still got some pretty good connections with a couple companies. But I mean, Smithfield alone, they shut down two of their plants. That was, that, major, that was a major punch. Yeah. You know, that's massive. Out What is it? Can't know in South Dakota, was it? I believe. What are they? What are they? What are you seeing in the beef world now? The cool part about Nick, just so everybody knows, is Nick is has has his pulse in multiple areas. It's not just in that consumer world, but he has a kind of a different dig in with the restaurant community as well. So there's a lot of information that comes into you on both ends, both consumer and wholesale. Yeah, I mean, obviously the the big look the. With schools being closed and restaurants being closed, yeah, those are so enormous. Like, if those were the only things that were closed, the industry would be in terrible shape. Right. But the fact is that everything else is closed. Corporate cafeterias, every restaurant you know about, you know, like, so yeah, you mentioned direct to, you know, these guys are just scrambling. I mean, people are moving to do the direct to consumer. Like, I live in New York City, so... Pat Lafrida, who everyone I'm sure has heard of, is, you know, one of the great butchers. Um, has they actually, just came out with like a whole new burger, didn't they? Well, they, they've they have had they've been selling direct to the consumer for like over 10 years. So they were in, in very good shape. But, yeah, he comes out with he has they come out with new burgers all the time. I mean, it's you know, he's um, I think they're doing it through Gold Belly. Right. They, they, they do direct. So you can buy anywhere in the country. You can buy from them. Yeah. But what we're seeing is all the other purveyors in New York now doing direct deliveries to consumers because, let's face it, they're, they're basically – the fact is that restaurant diners were their customers. Yeah. It was just an indirect relationship. Now they're trying to bridge that gap, at least in the short term. Right. Um, you know, you know uh, the, another another big uh, company up here is DeBraga. And what they've done is they partnered – actually, they do uh, – they partnered with Zahav. Um, yeah, Michael. If you buy meat from DeBraga, they give a percentage of that to the restaurant directly. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. It's a really cool, you know, it's a really good, it's, it's a really cool thing for them to do. Um, yeah, Michael is just one of the, I mean, that is one of the great restaurants in America, Zahav. It was. It was, it was actually declared that, wasn't it, by the uh, James Beard? They won last year, two yeah. last year, a year before they got, they got Restaurant of the Year, but the process of Michael and Michael's going to be on the show as well. He moving, you know, his, his story is unbelievable. That is one of the, Oh, it's so, it's so touching. And the whole, oh. I, mean, I don't want to, you'll have a whole show with him, but yeah, the whole thing with his brother, the inspiration for his cooking, where his cooking comes from, sure. the fact that he uses it to, to bridge gaps, to you know, not just, not just cultural and racial gaps and religious gaps, but like economic gaps, right? The yeah. whole, it's just an amazing what those guys do and that restaurant and all the other places, federal, um, federal donut and all the other places. Guys in golf. Yeah. They have Abe Fisher is Abe Fisher is, uh, have you done Abe? Have you been to Abe Fisher yet? Abe Fisher is, is it temporarily closed? Well, I guess everything is now. I think everything is now. I don't. Temporarily closed over the, or maybe I'm thinking about another place. No, I have not been there yet. Um, last time I was in Philly, I was only there during the day. 
and I think they're only a nighttime operation. But I haven't. They do a pastrami that is. I, 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 I mean, Nick, it's fucking brilliant. The pickled vegetables that they add to it, they do a small puree off to the side. It, it's 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 just brilliant. And it's like a little kind of speakeasy, 15, maybe 10 tables. Right. A nice bar, wide open glass enclosed kitchen. And they just execute at such a high level. And it's it's almost kind of underrated. Oh, I think yeah. it's brilliant food. I love Abe Fisher. When you're when you're in town, we're going to Abe Fisher in fucking six months or a year when we're allowed out. But well, it, you know that's the other thing. It's it's when we're allowed out, and then there's that. But it's like reopen. Well, it, it, ultimately, it's consumer confidence that's gonna that's gonna make places reopen. It ain't them telling you go ahead, it's safe. Because the fact is, that we we all know not to really fully trust the administrations that are, that are governing us. And I'm not I'm not being uh i'm not being a partisan here i'm saying both sides like every oh, i totally agree been let down by everyone on some level right every well, i mean the business of what it is that that is happening is massive yeah i mean it's just massive like I, I mean i on my own personal level i lost my salary in a four-day period from 14 to 17 basically you know that those days right there were the phone calls, hey, Brian, we got to cancel, we got to cancel, we got to cancel. And then it was, you know, emails, Brian, can you hop on the phone today? Can we hop on the phone? Can we hop on the phone? And I knew what was happening. Right. You know, I knew right off the bat what was happening. I was being grounded. You know, my my life as I knew it was going to be making massive changes. Now, for me, I'm, I'm a little, I'm lucky because I'm the only barbecue spot in the area. I'm the only one in the area. You know, I live near Philly. I live near West Philly. We're lucky in the fact that we have sales coming through to the point that we do our staff meals. We do hospitality meals. If you've been laid off, you get to eat for free. You nice. call me up. Hey, Bri, I got laid off. Can I come in and get dinner? Yeah. How many dinners do you want? You know, I had a guy walked in the other day. He's like, I don't know. Can I get two? So I gave him, you know, the, the burger that I'm selling for $13 with a side of fries, coleslaw on any side that he wanted. Plus, we gave him a half a chicken, barbecue glazed with fries and coleslaw on any side he wanted. Like, we're doing that. We're feeding hospitality. We've now found, and what's great about our community is we've now found that there are groups out there that are getting donations from other people. And what they're doing is calling restaurants and saying, hey, we want to support you. Can you feed 100 people at the hospital? And so what I'm doing now is I discount my rates for that so we can feed more people. So right. instead of charging $13 a sandwich, we're only charging $8 a sandwich. So we're right. covering our $3 mark. We're making $5 and then we're but, able to but pay your workers, right? What's that? Yeah. And so that covers the, that covers the labor. Yeah. I mean, look, but I've got, no you know, I've got labor. No restaurants getting rich off this, right? Nobody's and, and getting really. Rich. And in New York, a lot of them are doing it as a public service. I mean, they just flat out, and any yeah. money they make. I mean, there's too many restaurants for me to mention without sort of that that just feed the workers every night. It's incredible the the spirit that restaurants foster, the yeah. the way that hospitality extends beyond the economy. Right? It's hospitality isn't just about the money. Yeah, it's your job, of course, but. But you know, it's our, one of those things. That that's implicit. Any, but it's right. something that's beyond that, right? Like the hospitality. To be in hospitality, it, 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 there is something endemic in you. There's something inside you, right? That 
that that gives you that 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 um, impulse. Yeah. And you're feeling that in the industry at the totally. same time. These are all I hate to say it, but they're band-aids. The system itself is broken. And without the government, look, they can't tell us to all to pause. Right. And then not pause things like rent and taxes and all of this other stuff. Like, I don't understand how they think the industry is going to survive when rent is due. And, you know, look, this thing highlighted you know, a big problem in the restaurant industry that restaurants really do operate on a tenuous thread and week to week, you know, month to month for the big guys, week to week, night to night for some places, you know, some places they, this is what they face this every night of the week, right? This kind of, you know, this kind of, um, impending doom. Yeah. So I, you know, whatever system returns, like, let's just hope that it's more equitable all around, you know, I think one of the things that that really that this really brought to light was for the employees of the restaurants. You know yeah. that that close that close world. I mean, some of these people are making more money now with stimulus and and the you know and the the payroll stuff and unemployment that they were before. Yeah, which is ludicrous. Which uh, is ludicrous. So the whole. I mean, look, I I don't know what Philadelphia's like, but New York, we just had minimum wage go up. We we're still we still pay tipped employees get two eighty three an hour, and the way that that works is based on a seven fifty minimum wage in Pennsylvania, and then with a tax tip credit, we pay the employees two eighty three an hour because they make up that additional money in tips. That's how it right. works down here. Right. So you guys are fifteen. Well, now it's gone up to fifteen, and it, it, it's completely. It definitely shut down restaurants at the beginning sure. of the year when it was instituted uh-huh. and it just pushed the You're, margins look I, I i have a i know a big restaurant i'm not going to mention them but they had they have three big restaurants and excuse me i just sneezed um just cover have, your mouth have, and wash your hands i have a mute button <coughs> i just don't leave the house um, <laughs> um they calculated that if they did nothing you know they have a, a Two big restaurants, but they have a lot of employees. It was going to cost them an extra $750,000 a year in wages. You know, that's a lot of of meals right there that you have to make up over yeah. already very tight margins, right? So it, it's just, you know, it's the most wonderful industry, but it's also one of the most, like, in need of serious um, reform. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, and what the consumer doesn't understand, they think it's great. Hey, look, they're making a living wage now. It's working for them. But your $15 burger is still a $15 burger. I now have to charge $18, $19 to make up for what it was, where my increase in labor went. You know, your dishwasher before was making $12, $13 an hour. Now they're making $15, $16, $17 an hour. You know, we already saw it happen in California. I mean, I had a restaurant that we opened on the show that they had to close. They couldn't afford to stay open anymore with a 6,600 square foot space and pay staff. There was just no way they could do it. Right. And it's because, you know, well, there's many reasons, but you can't just increase this and not, you can't just increase that and expect it to not end up on the plate. Look, it's the same when, when uh, restaurants go to no tipping, right? Yeah. 
there has to be like the price has to go up on the menu. It just has to. Right. There's no other way. Otherwise, you just give you know, you're just yeah. giving away the uh, giving away the shop at that point. You're not you're not a business anymore. Yeah. Oh shit! So what? Are, so what are you seeing in New York right now going on? I mean, is there, or is it, is anything loosening up a little at all? You know, I think that nothing is loosened up. You know, in terms of what the administration is saying, and in terms of what businesses are allowed to open, and we are seeing some places are just saying, you know what, this is not. Some people are saying this is not like my favorite English shop where I buy all my bangers and. And English, uh, you know, English product products. Your HP and your Heinz, baby. Be Heinz beans, you know. I mean, everything you can imagine. They, we got to do a fry together one day. Yeah, for sure, dude. Um, I loved. I I had an Irish pub that I did a true fry. I did an Ulster fry, and it was it was one of my favorite fucking dishes to make. It's such a ridiculous dish that you just can't help but the eggs and the beans. I mean, and to get those Heinz beans, which are, what's the other one? There's Heinz and Brothers, I want to say. Branson. Branson. Yeah. There's just something about that. And I used to do, you know, I would take, and we had two methods of doing it. We did our eggs. We did our eggs and our rashers and our tomatoes on the flat top. I did my black and white and my bangers in the fryer and it was like perfect timing. Right. It's, it is a symphony because there's so many ingredients in it. Right? Yeah. You do like fried bread or if you do a, you know, a mush- we did farls, we would cut our farls down and sear them in the fat nice. on the flat top. We also did a Wheaton bread though. My Wheaton bread loaves on an 18 by 24 loaf weighed 22 pounds. <laughs> My girls, my servers, dude, we kept them on a, uh, we kept them on a, on a baker's rack in the walk-in and the girls would have to cut them. And we had risers that would go up and they would say, chef, can you help me pull this out? It's the top shelf and I can't carry it. <laughs> it was so good, dude. We made our own honey butter in the restaurant. Like this was a great, this was, this was the launch of, of any form of recognition that I ever got. And the reason why was because I had so much pride in putting together a UK, really not even a UK, more of an EU Irish menu. Right. It was, I had more fucking fun too. We did, I did these, I did these Gravlox dumplings and a coddle. (laughs) Oh God. We had so much fucking fun, dude. I did a coddle that was a seafood coddle. It was a Dublin seafood coddle. That I would do a fumé and we would cook it. Oh, fuck. We had so much fun, dude. Sorry. (laughs) With peas and these mini bangers, these tiny little half ounce bangers that we would add in. And where was this? In Philadelphia? This was in Philly in the suburbs. of. Funny, in the suburbs of Philadelphia, a little town called Ambler. And my best friend, Chad Rosenthal, bought the property. And it's now a a barbecue spot called the Lucky Well. Which, if you ever follow, if you get a chance, follow Chef Chad Rosenthal on Instagram. He owns a place called the Lucky Well. But we fuck with each other every week. (laughs) So three weeks ago, I was going to run this burger. And he comes out like two days later with this crazy smash burger. So I did a burger this week called well it's lucky you got one (laughs) so it's like we have this crazy little instagram fund that goes back and forth but he bought this old property that was an irish pub that i did irish food i mean all i did was eu style food within the restaurant and it was brilliant it was awesome 
I had a lot of fun there. Sorry. Total tangent on that. Memory lane. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully there'll be there'll be memories to be made, you know, in the restaurant world. It's but just- I think the, the memories that we're making at this point right now are fucking hustlers, dude. We're yeah. all hustling. Yeah. We're so hustling. Doing, I just, you guys doing delivery or just pickup? I do just pick up, but I'm using all the services. So I've got Caviar, Grubhub, DoorDash. I got rid of Uber Eats because they were just bad. Caviar is the most horrific system. I was charged over $900 in two and a half months because my drivers had to wait for more than two minutes because they were sending drivers in so fast. $900 in roughly two and a half months in late fees. Five bucks a pop. Plus... They take 30% off the top. Yeah. I mean, look, I get it. Like apps, everyone loves apps, people. But I think at this time, like just call the restaurant directly. Like yeah. if you want to support the restaurant, support the restaurant. You know, we do. My website is updated every day. Not my website, but my menu through my POS system. So I can go in and I can put 24 racks of ribs. So as Nick, you order a rack of ribs from my website, it now declines that or it decreases that. So it goes down to 23. So my website is the most updated form or source of information that you can have. Because for me to make a change on a menu on caviar takes three to four weeks. So right now I have people that are ordering green beans that I don't do green beans during the winter because we pick our fucking green beans. I don't have time to pay or the money to pay a guy to stand there and pick fresh green beans every day. I'm not going to buy a mediocre product of a fresh of a snipped or it's just my my need. But right. Caviar still has green beans on their on their website that I have to call people and make substitutions every time because Caviar won't change it. Like yeah. it's a really bad system, dude. Well, I think really they're all bad systems. I think they're all. It's like souvenir steak. It's just a solution <laughs> looking for a problem. <laughs> but I still have to use them because it's a percentage of my business. No, and I look. I get it. Um, I just know. You know, they're just they're, they're all of these guys. Like I don't even want to single anyone out. They just all seem like they have to. You know, they they have little reason to exist other than providing a base service that you would think would would cost the base amount, but somehow their fees just seem to get more exorbitant by the, by the app, you know, 30%. Yeah. That's insane. 30%, which means for, so anybody who doesn't understand the average food cost in a restaurant runs between 26 and 30%. That's where, so what that means is that for every dollar that comes into the restaurant, we are making of food. We're making roughly seven cents 70 cents on the dollar just on the food part. Yeah, but for a coffee labor or anything else. So, but meat is has higher food cost generally, and you guys meat has a higher food cost. Yeah. Absolutely. That's why when you go to a steakhouse, they're pushing you on those sides because that's where they actually make their money. That's where they make the money. Yeah. Right. The $75 ribeye is really a 45% food cost. Yeah, exactly. And then if you've look, and the other thing is, you know, it's also if you've aged it, you've paid real estate mm-hmm. on that thing in your basement. Well, who, who opened up their aging room for sale to the public? Uh, I think Peter Lugers is selling directly. Peter Lugers did, yeah. I was reading something about it that one of these steakhouses was opening up to the public so you could go, you know, you could go in and buy a fucking, you know, go in and buy a 101 or something that's been dry aged. So Peter Lugers is doing it. Um, I know this place, K Rico, which is a really interesting and and really good um, South American style steakhouse on 9th Avenue. I know they're doing it. They age their own beef. Right. 
Um, but as we mentioned before, the purveyors that, that sell all of the major steakhouses that you know about in New York um, are selling direct to the public now. Yeah. I mean, they have to. They have this inventory. What are they going to do? The inventory. Right? It's just going to sit there and age and become, you know, like well, you know, if a lot. If any of the chefs or anybody out there is listening right now, and if you guys are still open and you guys are still doing stuff, you need to have a conversation with your purveyor because what they're also doing is they're doing a DWO or a, you know a must a must go list. They have products that they're that they are want to get rid of. Like U.S. Food reached out to me last week and said, "Hey, we know you're feeding hospitality. We know you're feeding hospitals. We want to donate product to you to help you do that." So now what we're doing is like we were selling staff meals for 10 bucks, but now we're doing it where the, where the consu- where people are buying the staff meals for 10 bucks, but we're feeding three and a half people because right. my cost has decreased. So now I can feed more people with that $10 than what we were doing before. So we've got, that's some of the stuff that I'm seeing. So people talk to your purveyors and find out what they have. You know, because there's, you know, I mean, I, like the pork butts that I was buying last week, they had 101 cases as of Thursday. You know, I bought three cases of pork butts at a dollar a pound because I'm donating a lot of it to hospitals and stuff. Yeah, I mean, so. you see this, right? You do see this incredible coming together. We talked about this a little earlier, that, that you do see this incredible coming together in the industry. Yeah. Um, you see the Shay Shack uh, had applied for a PPP loan. Right. And they actually got like a substantial, they got million. 10 million. Yeah, well, they, they, they gave it back today. Wow. They were like, look, you know, and you read, there's a whole statement. I'm not going to, you, you'll see, it'll, I'm sure there'll be plenty of stories about it. But, you know, to me, it's like, look, they didn't do the wrong thing. Look, Ruth Chris got 22 million, right? I, I, I think it was 45. 45 million, right? They got, they, they, right, because they applied twice on the two right. different corporations, right? Oh, Jesus. On the, look, I get it though. It's like, and the fact is, the system is broken. You can't blame the fox if you leave the hen the hen house door open. Sure, right? absolutely. And, and I'm not saying. And look, these guys are just looking after their own interests, and that's what a capitalist system does, right? The point is that it shouldn't be in a position where that can happen. Right. We didn't do anything. A million in funds that are intended for small restaurants should not have gone to. I've never been to a Ruth Chris house, to a Ruth Chris, but I followed Shake Shack from the day one, and I love that restaurant. And yeah, you know, to me, I thought they really, you know, read the statement. I, I think they they did the right thing, and but at the same I mean, time, that that whole thing, like that, everybody that, that I've been to talking to. Everybody that I talk to is, you, you know, Brian, you should do this. You should go here. You should file for this. But our sales didn't decrease. I kept my staff on. Well, that's amazing. So I'm not. You're in the un, you, you're in the perfect. It's like you in a, a you perfect store. this or pizzeria. You'd be in good shape, right? Comfort food, quality product, but also I did, it travels well. Yeah, right? and it travels super well. A rack of ribs that I wrap that I you know that I smoke for five hours, right? And then I hold an alto sham and then I put on the grill for a quick crisp that's and I wrap in foil that gets to you within thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah. there's not a lot of decrease of quality. You buy a filet mignon and you want that filet mignon cooked at a medium rare. Exactly. It's a piece of rubber by the time it gets to you. Exactly. And you it's cold probably, and it's You nasty. can probably ship those ribs to New York and they would still be good. Oh, yeah. Which it, I should, should probably, probably try that out. Let's, let's, let's try to prove that. I will. I'll ship you some ribs. I'm not <laughs> fucking around, dude. I will fully ship you 
I'll ship you some ribs this week. I would love And it. I want you to try I my pulled pork. I haven't had barbecue or pizza in five weeks. Because okay. those are the two things I really can't cook in my house. So I'm going to get a couple of different... I do an Alabama rosé. I feel weird doing Alabama white. Call me crazy. It sounds like the most racist thing that's out there. <laughs> it totally does, dude. I mean, it's I'm also looking- never white. It's always... Um, it's always like beige. Yeah, exactly. Well, we do an Alabama rosé because I do a roasted poblano hot sauce that I use in place of like a Louisiana. Okay. So we make a roasted poblano, but basically a roasted poblano wing sauce for my wing Wednesdays. Um, it's actually a smoked poblano sauce that we do. It's pretty awesome. But but we do that. And so I'm going to send you a couple different sauces. I have an America's barbecue. I do a North Carolina tangy. I originally had a Texas meat dip, that tomato based beef brisket smoked fat sauce. Oh man. But I had, but I was getting all these, I I started to have a a group of people that were coming in and we weren't labeling as a meat sauce. And, you know, I honestly, dude, I have vegetarians. I do a I do oh, a smooth putting it on the on the on the sides and getting upset on the sides. It, yeah, too good. But we do a smoke. I do a pulled vegetable. So like yesterday, I smoked off five cases of portobello mushrooms, smoked off five pounds of Brussels sprouts, five pounds of cauliflower, caramelized onions, sounds- and barbecue grilled cabbage that we mix together. So it's like a pulled pork sandwich, but it's pulled vegetables. No, that sounds really good. Like those are some it's of my, pretty tasty. Those are some of the most edible vegetables. Yeah, absolutely. And they hold up super well. They hold up to a smoke. Right. So it's like we we're I mean we're trying to do fun stuff all at the same time. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm gonna ship to you. So I'll get some products sent up to you. I bought one of your t shirts, dude. Yes. Um I got it. It was pretty funny. So oh, you did? Oh, I wow. Did. It shrunk up. It fits it my daughter now. All right. We'll have to get you a replacement on that one. No, I'll, I'll, I'll get another. I, we, no, no, no. I'm going to have to talk to the to the vendor guy. It, it, yeah, I bought it and I was like, fuck yeah. And I put it on and I was like, oh shit, I'm super fat. I look like Chris Farley. <laughs> like belly hanging out, like, you know, motivational oh, speaker when he was on his day off is really what was <laughs> happening there. <laughs> and I lost weight. Dude, you know what I've done? I've eaten fast food every day for the last bunch of weeks because I'm, because I'm, there's nothing open. And so while I'm out there, I'm driving around. I'm not hungry when I get into the restaurant after cooking. So I have had a checkers burger pretty much all the time. (laughs) Are you a checkers guy? I've never actually had a checkers hamburger. Dude, they do the big Buford checkers or rallies. It's the second time I've mentioned it today. It's a great fucking burger, dude. I like the name, the Big Buford. The Big Buford. I get a Big Buford double patty, and it's awesome. It's Is uh, all the fast food restaurants open by you in uh, in Philly? Yes, but they're all limited hours, and nobody's allowed in. Right, so it's drive through, and and Checkers has always been a drive through. I think they're double window, double side. I'll tell you, Chick Fil A. I drove by Chick Fil A the other day, and I couldn't believe it. Five hundred cars. Really? Yeah, they're killing it. They've always killed it. They have a great model. And it's a good company. And I think that when you buy Chick-fil-A, you actually feel a little better purchasing it because I like the, the, they stand by their morals. I don't care what they are. They're closed on Sundays because they're a Christian company. Right. Something to be said about that. Big business has not taken over. The model of what they have for the people that own it, you've got to be married, you've got to be Christian. 
That's their model. You don't like it. You're not working at Hooters. <laughs> you're working at Chick-fil-A. You know what you're getting into. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, in my consulting business, I talk all the time about had. We had an opportunity to, to exceed the expectation of our guest. That comes down to Hooters. When you work at Hooters, you know what shorts you're going to wear. American Airlines, there's three things you have to do before they take off. Seat in the upright position, seat tra- tra- tray table put back and your seatbelt on. Disney, you work at Disney, you smile. We had an opportunity to exceed the expectation of our guest. You know what you're getting into when you go to work and what you're buying. Right. There's no doubt. You keep yeah, those standards and you're going to be successful. They do a good that that sandwich is is great. The, um, the the chicken, yeah, yeah. They do a nice job. I like the fact that they do their stuff. Their their chicken is is basically marinated in pickle juice. That, so yeah, so it's it's broken down. So it's um, broken down a little bit. It's yeah. got that good little vinegar with that flour, and then they put that sauce on it, and you're good to go. The um, people rave about the Popeyes chicken sandwich. I think it tastes like shit. I didn't think it tasted like shit the first two times. I, I was like, well, I was pretty impressed, the crispiness. And But then I, I ate like the third one. I was like, this is kind of disgusting. It's like there's something in the bread that too that's, saturate. Well, yeah, because they're using a brioche. So it's buttery and then there's mayo and then the thing is deep fried. Yeah. So it's it's almost like one fat too many. It, it's, that's exactly what it is. There's a coating that is just like I kind of feel uncomfortable after I eat. It. I, I agree with you. And the Chick Fil A, I could probably eat about three or four of those, and it's still because it's such a light fry. And even it's though a light fry, yeah, mm-hmm. I've I need to do uh, some Shake Shack. I haven't done. I think I've only had one Shake Shack. Hamburger or a chicken sandwich? Hamburger. Oh yeah, the, the Shake Shack to me is one of the one of the great. It's like well, it's the great 21st century fast food model. Who's the one that does the portobello mushroom? Uh, they do. They do a. They do like, the uh, on top, right? It's a portobello mushroom that is breaded and then f- it's it's cheese stuffed. That's right. Yeah, pretty dangerous, right? Are if you doing buy- that in, are they? Do they? They're not doing that in house. They're pre. They're doing those. They're buying those from a purveyor. They, are they doing those in house? Well, I'm I'm sure they're not doing them. I, I don't know the answer to this, right. but I know that no, that they used to do it in house, but they were probably doing it ahead of time, right? Right. Forget now they probably do have a central place that does it. Although I couldn't, I don't, I don't because it's a it's a very specific size of portobello. Yeah, so it's not a huge it, cap. It's more of that one and a half, or it's more like that two to two pretty, and a half. It's cap. pretty big, but it's also that it's the thing is like it's it's the height that you need right to make it a sandwich. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I know. I, I guess I have done Shake Shack more than once. Yeah, it's. A, listen, I think that to me is it's a fantastic hamburger. Um, What's your best? Is that your best burger? Fast food style? Yeah. No, I like like uh, my favorite fast food. I mean, I don't know if they count as fast food is a steak and shake. But steak and know, shake would that count as no more quick service really, isn't it? Yeah. I think if you talk about fast food, fast food, um, I really like In-N-Out for nostalgic reasons. That's a given. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I really like this company called Freddy's from, do you know Freddy's? Freddy's no. Frozen, Freddy's Steak Burgers and Frozen Custard, I believe they're called. They're from Texas and they do like, it's very steak and shake like in terms of being flat and almost like you, it's almost like a lacy curtain when you look through the patty, right? Right. It's so smashed, and I love that. That's I had a really good experience there. I'm a fan of that as well. Um, I like regional places, though. You know, like I, I'm definitely a fan. I drove through from Gulfport up at Mississippi up into Fairhope, 
and and Mobile, Alabama, and all that stuff, and and hit some of these great little family-owned, tiny little burger, fried chicken sandwich joints. Oh. I went to one place, Nick. They had they had chicken livers on the menu, just fried chicken livers. Love that. Like, who's doing chicken livers? Nobody's doing in a fast food spot. There's a place in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, Prices Chicken Coop. Yep, they I do. They do fry. They do chicken livers and they do chicken gizzards, which are even better than the, the livers. Gizzards are fun. Oh my god, fry! Yeah. You buy them. It's like a giant portion with hot sauce. They don't. It's that's just fantastic. I've walked into one of my places. We do. We take when we break our chickens down. We save our gizzards and our inner, like you know, I mean, our hearts, our livers, and gizzards, and then we, we break out the backs. And we smoke all of that. We do a smoky, uh, we do a smoked gloss for my poutine. Oh, so nice. Take, you know, our pork, we smoke everything. We brine it just like our chickens. We smoke them just like everything. And then we break them down. We cook them out for four to six hours and make an awesome stock, a great demi out of it. And, uh, and I walked in the other day and my, and my, one of my guys was throwing, he's like, what's all this paper stuff? And he's throwing all the gizzards and all the innards into the, into the trash oh, can. Oh. <laughs> And like, stop what you're doing right now. That is like literally the most, the, like that has more flavor than everything else. And everything yeah. else that's in there. Yeah. 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 He's like, oh, I, I, it was just paper. I didn't know what to do. I'm like, we didn't train you properly. Let's start over. Right. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. It's crazy. All right. Well, brother, I got to get some stuff up to you. I'm going to get a package awesome. together. Really, I'm going to send you some pork. Listen, stay safe out there. And, yeah. uh, you know, I really look forward to visiting and going out to restaurants again and, you know, everyone support your local restaurants, get in touch with your local uh, civic leaders, congressmen, senators, you know, fight for your restaurants because they need your help right now. Yeah, it's going to be devastating. There's going to be, I mean, the, the amount of people that are going to be leaving the industry because look, do, yeah. who wants to go through something like this again? Right. Do I really want to be without a job and have no security moving forward? Yeah. That's a and, big and industry will be there, right? That's the thing. Yeah. Will we'll, when will consumer confidence return? I mean, we're showing, you know, based on the knowledge that I have and and the the group of people that I kind of communicate with, we're looking at a thirty percent loss of all restaurants over throughout the country in the next couple of months. And you that know, and that's overall, and that's yeah. you know, in cities where rents are astronomical and the margins are, are slim, right. And the investment is massive. That's it's going to be worse than that, you know. For fine dining restaurants, I I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be tough for a lot of those places. Hey, what did a totally different note? What did La Cubana end up doing after Carl passed away? They we never really talked. They soldiered on for a little bit. Yeah, God, God, that was <sighs> fucking horrible. Yeah. Uh, they soldiered on for a bit, but they ended up shutting down. I they mean, it, did. it was very difficult without him at the helm, you know, to, yeah, you know, it's well, difficult I guess- enough to run a restaurant and then to not have your chef and the guy that really, you know, because that was largely a cult of personality, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Those fucking empanadas. He was, I will never forget that day when I was in the kitchen and I realized who you were all at that same moment. Like Carl yeah, put food well down and the next day. thing I knew, I look up and I'm like, oh fuck. Like there was that. That huge, that that moment that I was like, "Fuck, that's Nick," and 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 he's in the kitchen, and Carl's fucking cooking, and what the hell's going on here? That was wild. That was a great day, man. That was a great fucking. He was he had just mastered that empanada dough. Yep, and was so proud of it. Oh man, 
So proud. He he would have been. He's so missed right now when everyone's stuck at home on Instagram. Oh, he would. He was just a monster of entertainment. His videos when he was getting healthy, when he was walking through the neighborhood. Yeah. And he was just talking. They were awesome. And you know what the funny part is? Is like I'll do videos or I'll do live Instagrams, and and I and I find myself like being like, this is this would have been a Carl video. Exactly. You know, like, and I don't, you never want to be, you never want to imitate, although they say, you know, the most sincere form of flattery is imitation. Exactly. But he had his own personality and he had his own way about it. And uh, I I just will never forget the fucking video, the story that he did in, he was in a bar, he was wearing a restaurant depot customer jacket and hitting on some woman. And it was just the, I mean, it was, it was brilliant. It was just fucking brilliant. He was dancing and had a drink in his hand and the fucking restaurant depot thermal jacket that you wear when you walk into the walk-ins was just brilliant. (laughs) Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Very, really missed, you know, Yeah, really missed. All right, brother. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, Stay safe and healthy. I will. You do the same, dude. It was good talking to you. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. That's a very intelligent man right there, my friends. Uh, The knowledge of what he does, and it's a passion for what he does. That's the whole, that's one of the reasons why I love Nick. Um, You know, I followed him for a long time and I kind of referenced it a minute ago where I was, I had, I was in New York. I had to go up and do some food network stuff. And, uh, and, and the, the funniest part about it is I was shooting at like four and Carl Ruiz was about to open up his place within the next week or two. And I had, I just texted him, Hey brother, I'm going to be in the city. And he's like, come by for lunch. And so I I go up there, they're not open. There's still, you know, paper on the floors and plastic on the walls. And they hadn't even really opened the restaurant yet. But I, uh, I, I walk in and I kind of navigate my way up into the kitchen. And as soon as I walk into the kitchen, uh, uh, Carl gives me a hug and he's like, here, try this. I just perfected this. And it was his empanada dough. And he was so proud of it and proud of the product that he was putting into it on something as simple as an empanada. Like that's the type of stuff that, that as chefs, we gain this, this, this pride for something so minimalistic, something so simple as a dough or as a filling or something to that. So it's, it's, it was, it was a really neat moment to walk into that kitchen and meet his staff and see the pride that he had on this one appetizer in reality that he was doing. And he just wanted to get it in my mouth as fast as possible. And he said, are you hungry? And I said, yes, but I was going to judge something afterwards and I had to eat afterwards. And so uh, I told him that, and the next thing you know, I'm sitting at a table, and uh, and this guy walks over, and I'm like, oh, he looks super familiar, and he breaks out the camera, and the next thing I know, it's Nick Solaris, and we're having the conversation. You know, there's that interaction right there, and then at that moment, Carl comes over and just drops plate after plate after plate of food on my table in front of me, which was in reality, like a six foot long folding table with folding chairs and a may as well have been a red and white tablecloth over top of it. You know, and the pride that, that Carl had in putting that food out and the pride that Nick had in taking the pictures of 
his friend's food, and then the people that were walking in and out of the restaurant during that time frame. It was just a really cool kind of moment and uh, that I'll never forget, that I'll never forget. Because that day, I got to eat the pride of another human being and meet somebody that I had looked up to for a while who, you know, we talked about getting on the podcast and all that stuff. And it happened pretty quick. And then next thing you know, a couple months later, Carl passed away. So, so that's what we got that Ruizing moment right there for everybody. But, uh, everybody do me a favor. And, um, you know, Nick is, is just a a great guy, a, a wealth of knowledge in so many different levels. Um, and if you get a chance to watch him on his Instagram stuff or any of that, I highly suggest that you do. Um, so let me just pull his stuff up here so that you guys can see it. So you want to follow Nick Solaris. It's N-I-C-K-S-O-L-A-R-E-S on Instagram. He's got 29, almost 30,000 followers. He is um, uh, he is the writer, the photographer for host of food, uh, for host of uh, Meat Life, which is a really cool kind of documentary show about meat all over the place and what he's doing. And then his new stuff that he's doing while in his apartment in New York is just brilliant as well. He's a very, very... Uh, well-written author and he's got a beautiful eye for photography and he's just a quality individual. So um, ladies and gentlemen, thank Nick Solaris for hopping on the show. And so that's our show for this week on Dolphinified Live. Um, we uh, we appreciate it, man. Check out the boys over there at radioinfluence.com. You know what I have to say about them. Great podcast, guys. Great friends. Super professional. We love them. Maggie Gagliardi does all of our really cool stuff in the in the uh, in the world of graphic design. She does all of our promo pieces. Uh, check her out at Mag's Art. That's M-A-G-Z-A-R-T. Michelle out there, Techno Solution. Brilliant woman. Unbelievable artist in what she does in websites and design for menus and graphic in all areas of that. Plus, she's just a really good person. And those are the people that I like to hang out with. So, um, so boys and girls, thank you so much for listening to Duffified Live this week. Nick Solaris for hopping on and everybody down there at the crew that helps us out put this together. Boys and girls, just, uh, you know, wash your fucking hands. Adios. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is a place for my head quick fix on Radio Influence. This week on the A Place for My Head podcast, we're talking to pro beach volleyball player Kenzie Clespies. So I made a Facebook post. Um, like I said, I like to use my social media as just like a platform to kind of put things out there that aren't really talked about, but I feel like really should be talked about. So when the whole Me Too thing was happening, I made a post and I sent it out and everyone was like, like so shocked because I'm like a very smiley, upbeat person. And they're like, I just had no idea that this was going on. And it just goes to show that it can happen to anyone and it affects people in so many different ways. Um, And so half the people were like, oh, that's really horrible. And then some of the people were like, something like that's happened to me too. Or, you know, I was messages from people who had it worse way way worse than me saying thank you so much for for saying these things like this is what happened to me and i'd be like oh my god that's so horrible well it's it's another yeah go ahead sorry it's like you said brandon like 
because that happened to me, like I can find these relationships and it's unfortunate that it all happened, but it's so important that we find each other and that we know that we're not alone in this and that your anxiety telling you, Oh, like it's your fault. Like you're by yourself. Nobody else feels this way. Like you have to deal with this on your own. It's up to you. Like that's not true. There's so many people who have felt the things that you've felt and who can relate to you and who can be there for you and support you and you can support them. And so it's just so important to just kind of be self-aware and be like, okay, this isn't my thinking. Like this is my anxiety thinking. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm not by myself. Like I have resources. I have ways that I can get help. So it's good. I really like to, to kind of reflect on the self-aware because it's like you wake up and if you're depressed, you're like, oh God, why do I feel like this? But you just have to be compassionate with yourself and realize this isn't me. This is, you know, the disorder that's going on in my brain. This is like, it's not actually your fault. A Place for My Head with Brandon Thompson and Jerry P. Tuck can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.